Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Think about it. Think about if you were a part of the early church. It was a new thing. That they had seen Paul or Timothy or Barnabas or Peter or John Mark leading them and teaching them, that they had heard the gospel. They had come to believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world, and so they had put their faith in him. But you had people coming from different backgrounds, different cities, different nations, different religions. I mean, think about the church in Philippi. You have one person there, Lydia, the seller of purple fabrics, so probably a fairly wealthy woman there, and she had come to know Christ. And then you also had the Philippian jailer, his family, somebody probably in a completely different segment of society. They would probably have rarely crossed paths unless Lydia's business was doing some shady dealings. And yet here they are, and they're now brother and sister in the Lord. They're meeting together regularly and worshiping him. You had people coming out of the worship of this false God and all the beliefs and practices associated with it. And then you had people coming out of this, uh, the worship of this false God and all the beliefs and practices associated with this. That since meeting Christ, they had left those particular sects of, of religion and they had come together. But you know as well as I do that old beliefs and old practices die hard. So they'd have been coming together for worship and, and really in some senses trying to figure out how this whole church thing was supposed to be. What was the weekly gathering supposed to look like? It's not like they could look to church history and tradition. They didn't have that. The church was a fairly new thing. And so they're asking questions like, what, what do we do? What is this supposed to look like? What is our worship supposed to be like? Our meeting together? What parts take place in it? What do we do in this particular situation with this particular struggle or with this particular sin? And so where were they gonna go? Who could they ask? You'd regularly see in the epistles that they're, they're reaching out to the apostles and the apostles will say something like, now to the questions that you asked me. Let me answer those for you. We read what Paul said just a few verses ago. He said he was appointed a preacher and a teacher and an apostle for faith and for truth that he was the one that was gonna tell the church, this is what the Lord wants from you. This is what it's supposed to look like. And even here in 1 Timothy, Paul's laying before Timothy how the church in Ephesus was to function, what their desires and their goals should be, who should teach and who shouldn't teach. And we come to chapter three and Paul begins to tell him, well, this is what the leadership of the, look, of the church should look like. Remember, it was new for them. And so he's laying out in detail, what kind of men is it that are to lead the church of Christ? And so if you would, let's read together, starting at chapter three, verse one. Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, this is your word and we need it. We know we can't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so Father, this is your word for us today. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands what you're calling us to and a heart that believes and strength to obey. Father, we thank you for your word that even if the flower falls off, even if the grass withers, even if one day this creation is rolled up like a scroll and made completely new, your word will stand forever. And so, Father, may we believe this word today. Father, I pray for the Gideons. I thank you for that ministry. I thank you for the men in this church who are involved. I thank you for the Mississippi chapter, the American chapter, and how they spread across this globe. And Father, I pray today that as your word goes out, God, that you would purpose and you would accomplish mighty things. Father, I pray that same thing for our youth as they head down to uh, Camp Fuego this week. Father, I pray that you would work mightily that, Lord, you would unite them, you would give them a love for you and a love for one another, that you would do extraordinary things as they hear your word, as they see your word in action. Father, I know many of us look back and we see that our lives were changed, that you called us at camp, whatever it may be. Lord, may they look back on this week as one that was instrumental in their life. Father, I pray for Main Street Presbyterian, our brothers and sisters over there. Father, I thank you so much that this morning their pastor starts. I thank you that you've provided him, that you've called Aaron and his his family here to Columbus. Father, I pray that today would be a joy for them, that, Lord, you would give him decades of faithful, fruitful ministry in this city, and that, Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we would come alongside them and they alongside us and we would see the gospel take root in this city. Now, Father, do that work in us today. May the gospel take root and bear the fruit of repentance, of faith, of joy and love and peace and patience, of gospel-centeredness that leads us out of here to go tell others about the Christ we know. It's in his name we pray, amen. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And then Paul goes from there to explain not the task of the overseer, but the character of the man who desires to oversee. Now, we may need to back up a little bit. Definitions matter. And so let's talk about this. What is an overseer? What does that even mean? We know what it means in society. You know what an overseer is. An overseer is a a supervisor 
of sorts. They don't own the place, they don't own the building, they don't own the people, but they've been tasked with supervising, with overseeing. And as we read the New Testament, the word for overseer is the word episkopos, which may sound familiar to you. It sounds like the word episcopal. That's where we get the word Episcopal from, that in the entirety of the New Testament, this word for overseer, this episkopos, is used four times. Two of those times are right here in this chapter describing this overseer. It's also used in Titus, when Paul writes to Titus, a very similar thing. For, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And he goes into a similar list of qualifications. But what does he say to us? Look, what is an overseer? It's God's steward. He's a steward under God. And then the fourth and final usage of the word overseer is actually in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Listen to what it says. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Now, who is that talking about? It's Jesus, right? That Jesus is the ultimate overseer of our souls, that he is the one who begins and works and completes our salvation, that he does that. But notice that Peter says that Jesus isn't just an overseer of your souls, he's a shepherd of your soul, that he leads you, he guides you, and he feeds you. He is the good shepherd. Now, the Greek word for shepherd is the word poimen, from which we get the word. I came up with nothing either. I thought you guys would be helpful. Like 400 brains working together instead of a half a brain. I don't, I don't know. We, we don't get a word from that. And yet the word poimen is either translated shepherd or there's one other usage at one place it's translated pastor. Pastor. 67 times in the New Testament, we read the word elder. One time, we see the word pastor. And the ESV version, which is the version we use, it doesn't even say the word pastor. It keeps the word shepherd, that God has given to his church apostles and teachers. He's given shepherds. And yet we've seen throughout the scriptures that there are places where we are told not in noun form of pastor, not in noun form of shepherd, but in verb form. Peter writes in chapter five, verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So what is the task of the pastor? It's to shepherd. That's his task. That just like Jesus is the shepherd and the overseer of your souls, he is given to the church under shepherds, pastors, under stewards, or if you want it as awkward as possible, under overseers. That's what he's done. He's given these people to care for his sons and his daughters together in the church. Now, there's one final term used for the leadership in the local church, and it's the term elder. As I just said, it's used 67 times in the New Testament. Many of those times, it's not used in a positive way. It would be something like this. And the chief priests and the elders came against Jesus to kill him. Don't be like that. 
That's a negative. It's actually the word in Greek, presbyteros, from which we get the word Presbyterian. We still have John the Baptist though, don't worry. A handful of times it's used to talk about an older person, an elder, respect your elders. Twelve times it's used in Revelation talking about the, the, the heavenly elders that seat upon the throne, right? What does the word mean? It, it refers to a maturity and a wisdom, that among elders there should be a maturity and a wisdom. So what do we have here? Overseers, pastors, elders. Now, which is which? And the answer to that is yes. That a pastor isn't one thing, and an overseer another thing, and an elder another thing. It's not as if when when we read about elders, we're thinking, oh, Paul's taking a break so he can talk to the Presbyterians. He's going to tell them how to run things. No. These are descriptors of the same office descriptions of the same leadership in the church. So when the Bible speaks to elders or about elders, you can read it and say, oh, he's talking about the pastors, the overseers of that church. When he mentions the overseers, you can say, okay, he's describing what pastor elders are to be in the church. Let me give you an example of this, which I think is the most clear one. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes this. So I exhort the, now pay attention to the words, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed to do what? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Essentially, pastor, I I appeal to the elders, pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising what? Oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So did you hear it? Elders, pastor the people exercising oversight. Elders, pastor, oversee. Now you may say, wait, hold a minute. I know some Presbyterians over at Main Street, and I know a guy who's an elder there, but he's not a pastor. He actually works for fill in the blank. The Bible actually speaks of elder pastors in the church, but not all of them are paid. Some actually work for the church. That's how they make their living. Some don't. Their occupation, their, their pay lies elsewhere. They may be lawyers or doctors or factory workers or coaches but they are considered to be qualified biblically, and so they've been set apart by the church as faithful men who will lead in the form of unpaid elders. So mature and faithful men who fit the qualifications that we just read earlier and who are devoted to shepherding and overseeing Christ's church. That's how the early church was actually governed. That's how it was led a group of qualified, faithful, mature men whose minds and eyes are set toward the growth of the people of God. Some of them are paid and some of them are not. 
that there wasn't one guy who did it all because nobody can do it all. Everybody's good at one thing or another, but they're not good at other things. There was not the CEO mindset where he's in charge and then the committees gather all around him and they do their thing. It's not how it was. Instead, a plurality of men set apart by the Lord were working together to lead. They were shepherds, together qualified and responsible for the feeding of the sheep, the word of God, for their protection, so that false doctrine didn't come in among the flock, and for discipline, that when a sheep was straying, they could kind of take the the staff and pull it back in. Peter tells us one day that the chief shepherd, he's going to return. How do you respond to that? (sighs) Come on, let's go. Sounds wonderful. I mean, aren't you ready for Jesus to return and make all things right? Doesn't that sound fantastic? What's taking him so long? Let's go. And in light of that, that the chief shepherd, he's going to come back. Peter tells pastor, elder, overseers to do their task and how to do it. Don't do it for shameful gain. Do it eagerly. Do it in joy, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example for them. Pastors are shepherds. They're not cowboys. Do you know the difference? Pastors lead the sheep. They don't drive the cattle. There's there's not to be this domineering, kind of abusive attitude among them. Well, where are they to lead their people? I, I don't. I've never shepherded actual sheep. What are they supposed to do? Well, they lead their people. Where? To Jesus. Every single time that the pastor, elder, overseer's job is to regularly remind the flock of God's goodness, of the goodness of the gospel, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died to make you holy that the God who begins your salvation is still working in you today and one day he's gonna complete it. One day those sin and those struggles and those thorns you got, one day they're gonna be gone. When? When the chief shepherd returns. To remind you that when we sin and we will sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us, just come to him and confess it. To remind us that when we are weak, he is strong. That when we are tired, he isn't. That he will never, ever, ever stop loving his children and working out every single thing for your good. That his word is true forever and always. It's a sure foundation, a solid rock on which to build your life. That we walk by faith, not by sight. And that one day the chief shepherd is coming back to gather his own. I'm ready for that. Are you? Are you ready for Christ's return? He came once as a savior. He's coming back not only as a savior, but as a judge. And when he returns, every single one of us will stand before him. 
And if you are trusting in Christ, if you've given your life and your heart and everything to him to say, God, I need you, Christ, I need you to save me, then on the day where he comes back, you're good to go. Your sins are forgiven. As we sang, we're gonna be dressed in his righteousness alone, which is good news because how much do you have? Mm. We need him. And if you're trusting in him, the day of Christ's return will be the most glorious, indescribable thing you could possibly imagine times a billion. But if you're not, if you're not trusting in him, if you've never trusted in him, then the day that the chief shepherd returns, it sounds harmless. He's just a shepherd. No, he's coming back on the white horse. And he's coming back as judge. And if you have not trusted in Christ and are not trusting in his salvation, then you stand in your sin. You stand in your rebellion and you will have to stand before him and you won't. You will fall before him. So what's my task as a shepherd? To point you to Jesus and say, you wanna be saved, trust in him that he alone is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. Trust in Jesus, that's my task. And one day every elder, every pastor, every overseer will stand before the Lord and they're gonna answer for how they did their task. That one day the chief shepherd is going to return, I will stand before him and I will give an account for how I treated his bride, his church here at First Baptist. Did I lead as I have been called? Did I shepherd as Jesus shepherded? Somebody doesn't like that. What did I point you to? What examples did I set? Even in my preaching, did I just tell you stories and jokes or illustrations or did we dive deep into God's word knowing that we can't know him apart from knowing his word? Look, I'll give an account for that and I wanna be honest. I know a lot of you don't like decisions I've made. I get it. There are some decisions I've made that I haven't enjoyed making and there are some decisions I've made that looking back, I would have handled differently, but I will give an account for how I've shepherded you. I'm well aware of that. But all I know to do is to follow the chief shepherd Because if I follow him, then you can follow me. But if I'm not following him and you follow me, then I'm leading you away from him. I I don't know what else to do but to keep following him. If I go somewhere else, then I'm gonna answer for that. So here's my directions. Here's what I seek to follow. That's my task, to follow this, to believe this, and to teach this. And where we aren't as a church in line with this, to change our focus. I've always said that the pulpit, not this one necessarily, if you can even see this, this is like Wonder Woman's invisible jet. I've always said that the pulpit looks like the helm of a ship. And it should, because this right here, where this goes, the church goes. That what what comes from here actually sets the pace and the course, the direction, everything about the church. That there is nothing here that colors this place or steers this people more than what's going on right now. And there's gonna be times where I'm following him, where I'm going where he leads and it's not going to be how you want it. It's not gonna be how you like it. 
It's not gonna be your preference or what you're used to. And I get that. I, I regularly remember that one day I'm gonna give an account for this, for how I've treated the beloved bride of Christ. And all I can answer for is my faithfulness to you. But then there's you. That one day you too will answer for your faithfulness and how you've treated the bride of Christ. Hebrews 13, 17 says to the church this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. What does that mean? That as we are seeking to follow the Lord, you should seek to follow us. That as we are diving into the word, the, the word, you are holding up everything that I say and everything that I do up to this. That you're testing the spirits, as John says. That making sure that what's coming from here, what's coming from here, is here. Make no mistake, you too will answer for how you treat the bride of Christ. For whether or not you're making the task of your pastor a joy or a burden, for how you're loving one another, do your words and your actions bring unity and peace or are they bringing division and slander and chaos? I mean, obey your leaders, submit to them isn't a suggestion, it's a command that as your leaders obey and submit to Christ, you are to obey and submit to their leadership. Listen, I've been where it is hard to follow leadership before. I think as a nation, we've been there for a little bit. I get it. I get it when it's hard to follow the pastor that God has put over you. I also know myself and I fully believe what Charles Spurgeon said. Don't think badly of people when they speak poorly of you. You're way worse than they say you are. <laughs> yeah. When we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I'm given a testimony. I get it. I know it's true, but I want to warn you. I want to shepherd you in this way to say, don't speak against your leaders. Be careful. I mean, let me, let me give a personal story. I was once working under a, a different pastor, and we were sitting in an office one day, and I'm just talking to a buddy of mine who's one of the other pastors there, and I make a joke about the pastor that we're under. And the joke was, I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't probably even a funny joke. But I prayed and I said, I'm gonna just pray to God that God will give him this medical condition that'll, you know, give him a little struggle and let him rethink some things. That's all I said. Okay, there were a few more words. Within 24 hours, I had that medical condition and I have struggled with it ever since. I was talking to another pastor the other day and he said, you know what? He goes, a few churches ago, he goes, I was, I was 
I was pastoring there. I was a younger pastor. He says, there was one guy that just kept coming against me, kept coming against me, kept coming against me. And he said, I was talking to a lady, an older lady that had discipled my wife when she was growing up. And that lady just says, you know what? That's gotta stop. And she said, I'm getting on a plane now. I'll be on that plane for two hours. I'm gonna start praying while I'm on that plane that God will either lead that man or bring that man to repentance or that God will bring him home. Before she landed, the man had had a massive heart attack and was dead. I mean, is this is just a scare tactics? Is that what this is? Seems kind of self-serving, no? Just saying, look, if I'm gonna shepherd you, if I'm gonna pastor the sheep, I gotta tell you where the, the holes are, where the dangers are, where the troubles are. I gotta tell you, and love you enough to say, be careful, don't play with that. It's not worth it. Look, pastors are to lead the church. They are to be stewards and overseers of Christ's church, and they don't get into that position without God putting them there. But the church has a say over this. You voted to bring me in, right? That's how it works in the Baptist church, and it's, we're right to do that. That's the way it should work. The church has a say. But oftentimes, the church makes their say known by attendance or by giving. And if they don't like what's going on, they don't start going somewhere else. They just stop coming. Or they stop giving. They, they withhold their money until they, something reaches their preference or their likes. Look, we sent out a letter recently about the offering. You've seen it. The offerings aren't good right now. They're low. And look, I get it. Times are tough. They're hard and groceries, everything is up in price. But I've also been told by some of you, look, I'm not gonna continue giving while he's here, while he's leading. Because I don't like the leadership. I don't like the direction. Look, if, if that's you, just come see me. Just come sit down with me. Abraham Lincoln said this, I don't like that guy very much. I need to get to know them. Come sit down with me. Let's talk about it. Ask me any questions you want. We can discuss ministry, where we're going, and if the end, in the end you can't in good conscience follow my lead, you don't like the direction, then let's part in good grace. No harm, no foul, no hatred, there's none of that. There are some faithful, godly churches and pastors in this town. Find one where you can go and in joy and in faith, you can submit to the leader that God has put over you. Because if you're not, and if you're just here and you're frustrated, you're grumbling, you're complaining, you're slandering, you're, you're gossiping amongst one another, you're withholding even financially what God has told you to give, all you're doing is bringing trouble on yourself. And I wanna love you enough and be a faithful enough pastor to say, don't mess with it. It's not worth it. It's dangerous for you. My task as a pastor isn't just to protect the church from the harm that brings, it's to protect you from the harm that that will do on yourself. Here's the deal. The Lord is at work in the city. Like if you're hearing this thinking, oh man, this is, this is, it's not. The Lord is at work in the city. He's doing awesome things. He is bringing the lost to faith in Christ. He's growing his people. He's using you in awesome ways in this city. 
He's opening wide doors for effective ministry for us. We can look out and say, man, the fields are white for harvest. They're ready. And I want, what I want for you is for you to be able to step into that with both feet, with hands ready to work, with a heart moved in joy by the gospel of Jesus and in full assurance that the shepherds he's placed over you are following the Lord. If it's here, praise God for that. If it's somewhere else, you go and you follow them and you be part of the ministry that God is doing there. I think about Paul and Barnabas, I see the time. I think about Paul and Barnabas parting ways because of a disagreement. And what happened because of that? That the gospel went more places, places it could have never reached if they would have stayed together. The ministry of the gospel by them parting ways, following the Lord was multiplied. What's our hope and our prayer? That the city of Columbus, that the city in which God has brought you and me too will be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you and I would have joy in our salvation and we would leave here talking to others, not about the troubles at our church, but about the good things that the great shepherd has done for us. That we would long for the day that he returns and that we would live this life in light of that day. That's what I want for you. And if our parting brings that to this city, then may the Lord do it. Brothers and sisters, let me turn you to Jesus. Look to him. If you don't know him, call upon the name of the Lord. Ask him to save you and he will. If you want me to pray with you, I'm gonna be right down here afterwards. Come on down. If you feel like he's leading you to commit to this body and membership, come find me, I'll be right here. If you feel like he's leading you elsewhere, follow him. He's good. He's worth following. So whatever it is he's calling you to, let's trust him and let's obey him and let's watch him work. And let's finish that by praying and then let's standing and singing to this great God and Savior, Jesus.